There's an indication from Scripture that the Holy Spirit's work is to complete and to sustain what God the Father has planned and what God the Son has begun. As Jesus opened the door for us to experience the presence of God anytime, any place, God is with us, living in us. He's with all men. He's in, he's in the Christian. And then he comes upon the Christian to empower him for service, right? We have this glorious appearing in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. To Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? As fun as um, the bonfire was last week, I am so glad to be back in the building with you, especially since it's freezing outside. So we are beginning. Um, something kind of different than what we've been doing. We're going to pause on chapter 12 uh, for a few weeks, and um, we're going to be calling it together by the Spirit. So our theme has been, uh, our theme through this whole book has been together, and how God uh, wanted to do a great work in the city of Corinth, and the way that he was going to do that is by a church united um, in the effort towards and for the gospel. And so um, that's been our theme, but we're going to pause here in this section of scripture for the next few weeks and look at the different spiritual gifts that are listed here as well as other places, but specifically here and what the intention of those are and how they play a part and uh, uh, kind of play a part in the, in the church today. And so tonight we're going to be discussing uh, part one of like nine parts. No, I'm just kidding. Part one, I have no idea how long it's going to take us to get through, but Please come back if you're like, I'm done. But come back. It's gonna, we're going to get through it eventually, and we'll get to chapter 13, which is the greatest gift. I mean, that's exciting stuff. But chapter 12, tonight we're going to be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, we should pray. Actually, let's read these verses, then we'll pray. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of of all. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful, God, that you have placed this in your word to teach us about who you are. And so, Lord, as we pause for, for some time to really study and dive into what these things are and, and gifts that you want to give to us, and perhaps already have given to us, but we're not sure how to use them or where to cultivate them. Lord, we pray, God, that we would be uh, a church and a people that is moved and led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And so, God, open our understanding to your word tonight. If anyone is, is coming tonight who is not saved, is yet to give their life to Jesus, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes and open their heart uh, to who you are and reveal yourself through your word tonight. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 11, we will someday get back to uh, because I believe that it has some great 
uh, especially it mirrors a lot of what's going on in our culture as, as far as gender roles and chaos and different things like that. It talks about head coverings and um, for the ladies and stuff like that. But I really wanted to get to chapter 12. I don't normally, I kind of skip some stuff sometimes. But chapter 11, if you want to go back and read it and ask questions, you can. Uh, Zach knows everything there is to know about head coverings and uh, jewelry and all that. So we will someday come back to that. It's like Mr. T. <laughs> I'll pity the fool. Anyway, um, but the emphasis that the Apostle Paul is seeking to take uh, in chapter 11 is to take a people who have come out of a secular culture and are now entering into a biblical culture where there are increased freedoms and liberties, things that they had never experienced before. The fact that there are men and women meeting and gathering in the same place was unique for this church. And so there was chaos that was erupting within the church. And, and the apostle seeks through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring order where there was disorder in chapter 11. Now the, that tone continues into chapter 12 all the way to the end of chapter 14. So this is a... a um, a new section that we enter where we've gone from corrective now to theology and doctrine and things like that here from chapter 12 to 14 where Paul seeks to bring order to something that had gotten out of order and that was the use of spiritual gifts in the church and so he's going to define what these things are I had a, a pastor friend of mine he's been a, a youth pastor for 21 years uh, for high school kids and I was like you got to know some stuff um, Tell me what you know. And he's big and has red hair, and I feel like we connect in a, in a way. Um, but he was saying that one of the things they were doing at their church with their young people is asking the question, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? And if you do, are you using them, number one? And if you do know what it is and you're using it, how are you using it to affect and bless the body of Christ? And he asked us this question as, as pastors, and I thought to myself, I have no idea. I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. So I took a test online, like any good Christian. No, don't do that. <laughs> What's your love language? No. The apostle will use, and so that's what my hope is for this, this time. Like, what is your spiritual gift? How has God gifted you? If you're a Christian in this room, you have at least one spiritual gift. Everyone's been given one. So we'll get to what those are, but tonight we want to discuss the who and the how of the Holy Spirit. So the apostle will use the human body as an example of how the body of Christ works. All of it is important and serves a function to bring a fuller experience of life to the body, but each part cannot serve or, or live, uh, serve the function of the other. It needs everything. Like my hand can't be my foot, uh, my foot can't be my hand, my ear can't be my mouth, and, and this is the the example that the Apostle Paul is going to use in order to communicate to us what it's like to have different spiritual gifts, diverse, but yet all connected and all needed. So, we all need each other. That's the emphasis that Paul brings. No one is more valuable than the other in the body of Christ. Can we get an amen? Although uniquely gifted and diverse, it unifies us in our need for one another. So I believe we need to start, first of all, with the who and the how of the Holy Spirit. But we want to see it from the history of Scripture. A lot of times there's this idea that the Holy Spirit like came on the scene at Pentecost and he's just this crazy hippie who like just makes things weird, right? Like that's a lot of times our idea. It's like we worship uh, our, our trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And so we need to understand that there is a, 
a Holy Spirit, or as Zach likes to call him, the Holy Ghost with the most. And, and, and so there is this part of the triune God that we need to understand is God as much as Jesus is God, as much as God the Father is God. Okay? So there are many misconceptions about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Some view the Holy Spirit as a mystical force, like I was enslaved or I was slain by the Holy Spirit. You've all seen those videos where someone gets hit in the face and they're like on the floor convulsing and that's the, the Holy Spirit purging them of sin. Maybe that's your context that you've come out of or you, that happened to you. It happened to my, I think it happened to my wife one time. And she was like, what? And some guy hits her in the head. Anyway, what does the Bible say? <laughs> So he's not a force. Others understand the Holy Spirit as the impersonal power that God makes available to the followers of Christ. What does the Bible say about the identity of the Holy Spirit? Simply put, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a being with a mind, emotions, and will. Now the Holy Spirit thinks and knows, 1 Corinthians 2.10 tells us, the Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30, the Spirit intercedes for us, Romans 8.26-27, he makes decisions according to his will, 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. As God, the Holy Spirit can truly function as the comforter and the counselor that Jesus promised he would be. Okay? This is who he is. But now we move into the how. How does he work and how has he worked in the past? The working definition that we're going to be launching from is that the manifestation and active presence of God in the world, and especially the church, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be defined as the manifestation and active presence of God, the triune God, in the world, and especially the church. Now, the Old Testament, the presence of God, was many times manifested in the glory of God. Remember, God appeared in a pillar of fire or, or a cloud by day there in Exodus. He appeared to Moses in a burning bush. There are other times in, in Genesis where it says that God appeared to Abraham, like in some kind of form. Right? So we have these theophanies throughout Scripture. A theophany is simply a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. But we know from Scripture also that God is spirit. So God took on a form or, or um, came in, in a form of fire or, or something like that. These are manifestations of the glory of God in the Old Testament. Now, the gospel records for us that Jesus was the manifestation of the presence of God. Meaning that Jesus standing there in front of the disciples, he was just as much God in the very presence of them, but in a body that they could handle. He was incarnate or, or wrapped in flesh, the Bible tells us, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father. Like, him and I, he and I are one. His will is my will. And the gospel records for us that Jesus is the manifestation of the presence of God. Now, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. But after Jesus rose from the dead, right, which is a big deal. We don't want to make light of that coming up on Easter. Hallelujah. This is our time of year. Come on. Spring has sprung. <laughs> Flowers are coming out. Pollen's alive. Those of you who are like sneezing like crazy, you're like, oh, man. This is a reminder that Jesus lives as everything comes to life again. <laughs> a cool time of year. The other day I took a walk uh, with my dog and my daughter. Uh, my daughter was in a stroller, not on a leash. And so, 
We're walking through Capitol Beach. If you ever have time to walk through those million dollar homes in Capitol Beach, like do it. I don't live there, but that's where I walk my dog and let my dog do his business on people's yards. But as you're walking through it, I was walking the other day and, and just noticing like everything's starting to bloom and different flowers that you're like, wow, that is a, that's a beautiful, not that I'm extra sensitive or anything like that. But as you start to notice, like, wow, that's really pretty. Look at that color. Look at that color. Look at that color. And it was like the Lord kind of just reminded me, hold on a second. Before you get all judgy von holier than thou, I had a moment in which God spoke to me through flowers. <laughs> like, these are colors that no Home Depot can, can, like, reproduce as much as they want to. And they're like, we'll take any swatch and we'll create it. These are made by God. Like, this is amazing stuff. This is the, the unveiling of God's creation. In this time of year, we celebrate the, ri the risen Lord. Jesus is alive. Just as everything comes back to life from the dead of winter, we're reminded that Jesus also came back to life. So we don't want to make light of that and just be like, Jesus rose and then he ascended. That's the whole point, what I'm talking about. So, but after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and the disciples were told to wait. As the Holy Spirit will be poured out on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the triune God among us. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was born on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God was from the beginning, always existed. There's an indication from Scripture that the Holy Spirit's work is to complete and to sustain what God the Father has planned and what God the Son has begun. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And at Pentecost, with the beginning of new creation in Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who comes to grant power to the church. You can look that up in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, 17 and 18. You can see where, where he was in the beginning, what God had planned, the Holy Spirit carries out. And he sustains that work. The Holy Spirit was there on the day of Pentecost as Jesus opened the door for us to experience the presence of God anytime, anyplace, anywhere. God is with us, living in us. He's, he's with all men. He's in, he's in the Christian. And then he comes upon the Christian to empower him for service, right? We have this glorious appearing in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In that, Paul calls him the first fruits and the down payment of the full manifestation of God's presence. That we will know in heaven and in the new earth the fullness of that. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. But it's just a down payment. Romans 8, 23 says, Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. What is he talking about? He's talking the point where we will be in heaven with God. Right now, we experience moments of heaven. Moments of what it's like to be in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now this is just the down payment. What you experience in, in the filling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of God's presence in us is only a down payment of what we will fully get in heaven. That's why when we sing and we have these times of worship and our eyes are closed and it seems like it's 
thick, the presence of God. If you've ever experienced something like that. And suddenly the lights come on, the prayer ends, and we all have to go home. And we're like, like, I could do that forever. That is the down payment. That's just the, the glimpse of what heaven will be like. For all of eternity in the presence of God, the full manifestation of the triune God among us. I had a friend who uh, used to do surf camps in Ireland, because that's what you do when you're when you surf and you want to go to Ireland. So he went to Ireland and did surf camps. And he said one night he had to walk into town, and so he puts it's this dark road, like out in sheep country, and so he he puts his headphones in and he's listening to what else? But Phil Wickham, because as a good Christian, he's, <laughs> anyway, so he's like walking in the dark and he's like, I was looking at the stars and looking at the rolling hills and he's like, all of a sudden he's like, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. And this kid's so funny. He's like, I'm running in this field, like singing and like twirling and dancing, like, and he's like unencumbered and all of a sudden like these lights shine behind him and he's like, God? And he turns around. <laughs> And it's the cops. They thought he was high on acid or something. It was tripping out. And he's like, no. And what he said, when those lights came on, it's as if he was brought back into reality, brought back into his body. And he's like, what was that? That was a glimpse, a moment of what it will be like to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. Just like me and my flowers. <laughs> this is the down payment. But listen, the Old Testament prophesied the Old Testament prophesied that the presence of the Holy Spirit would bring blessing. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 14 through 18, it says, Because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy, <laughs> this is the best part, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. The peace of God will reign. Then justice will dwell in wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. It says, as the land lays desolate, the Holy Spirit will be poured out and new life will come. Isaiah 44, verse 3, it says, For I will pour out water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offering. The prophet Joel also prophesied that God would usher in a new covenant and a greater fullness of his spirit would take place. Stick with me. You guys okay? I'm going to name off like a thousand different references and I'm sorry, but it's going to be okay. What? I'm going to slow down. <sighs> sorry. We okay? Can I start again? All right, I'm going to start again. Okay. The prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 29. Of course, all of you have read this and memorized this verse because everyone reads the book of Joel. And it shall come to pass. I've never read it. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Listen, this is a prophecy 
for the new covenant in the church age, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So what are the ways that the Holy Spirit brings about blessing? These are prophecies of what was to come. Now this is made accessible to us. When he says this, this is speaking about you and me. We receive this blessing because of the, the shed blood of Jesus upon the cross. When Jesus says it is finished, he fulfilled the requirements of the law, conquering both sin and death, rising from the dead. And through him, he opened the door for which the Holy Spirit could be poured out on the church. Where you and I simply come and ask and we receive. We come to the Lord on a basis of what Jesus has done, not what I can do. We're covered in his blood and in his sacrifice. So in which way does the Holy Spirit, Spirit, which way the Holy Spirit, which way does the Holy Spirit bring blessing? Well, first of all, if you're taking notes, I'm going to say these slowly. He empowers. He empowers. All right. If you're new and you see, it seems like I'm weird. It's because I am. We are one and the same, you and I. <laughs> Feel free to enjoy yourself. The Holy Spirit empowers us. I want to say this first of all. How does he empower? Number one, he gives life. Okay? He gives life. Psalm 104, verse 30 says, You send forth your spirit, they are created. The Holy Spirit gives life to all. Whether on the ground or in the sky or in the sea. So conversely, if God were to take back his spirit to himself, all flesh would perish. The spirit of God gives and maintains human and all other life. All other life. The spirit of God breathed into all life. That's what God created, what we see and what we feel among us, what we get to experience. Your dog has been given the, the breath of life. We're the only ones who get... Spiritual birth, of course, but we're given life. So here's the thing. Every person, a common grace that every person has experienced is the breath of life that God has brought them to life. That's a common grace that everyone experiences, whether saved or unsaved. God has brought them to life and given them life. The breath in our lungs is on loan from God. Our life is, is on loan from God. If God were to take it back, everything would be reduced back to dust and cease to exist. It's a common grace that God has given to all in that he is, the Holy Spirit is with all men, but not in all men. The Holy Spirit is with us within the world, calling out to us through nature, through what we see, that there is a creator who loves them and gave his life for them. The Holy Spirit is with all men. He brings life uh, into this world. But not only life physically, he gives new life at regeneration. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 6, he says, you must be born again. And this is communicating that same point, that you've been given life, but you must be born again in the Spirit of God. John 6, 63, it says, 663, John 3, 6 through 7. Okay. 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. We see the consistency of the Spirit's life giving function in the life that on the day Christ returns, He will give life to our mortal bodies as well as He completes His life-giving work of resurrection. Romans 8.11 says, Romans 8.11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit is there. He gives us life. He regenerates our soul. And in our death, he is there regenerating us, resurrecting us there in heaven. He brings life. He empowers. But he also empowers us for service. This is not just a New Testament thing. It's not just where we see it in the apostles, but we have an Old Testament, we have Old Testament examples of this. There was a great name, a great guy named Bezalel. Yeah, I know, Bezalel. He was empowered by the Spirit of God, it says in the book of Exodus, with artistic ability to build the tabernacle. So God filled him with his spirit in order for him to know goldsmithing, blacksmithing, woodworking, all that. He became a master craftsman in these things by the spirit of God. Joshua was empowered to lead God's people in Numbers 27. The judges were empowered to free the people of Israel from oppression. Gideon, Samson, Othniel, these guys were all empowered uniquely by the Spirit in a time where God raised up judges in order to free his people. Saul, even King Saul, as dirty and weird as this guy was, he was empowered and led the nation into battle. At one point they were facing extinction and Saul says, any man who doesn't fight, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. That was when the Spirit filled him. Imagine if he wasn't, anyway... But he was empowered by the Spirit to lead people into battle. David was empowered by by the Spirit of God to be king over Israel and the king that Israel needed. But it is this empowering, it is not just available, it wasn't just available to anyone who asked. It was unique and it was limited. And we see examples of ordinary men empowered by God for service unto and for the Lord. But it was limited because of sin. Because Christ had not died yet. And so the Spirit of God, like we've been reading these prophecies of someday it's going to come. It's going to be poured out in fullness, in a greater fullness that we will see. It was Christ's death and resurrection that opened the door for that. So when I approach God, I approach him not based on my own holiness, but the holiness and righteousness provided to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It pointed us to a more powerful and fuller outpouring and work of the Holy Spirit there in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have this promise of the empowering of the church. So so we were waiting for that. Reading the Old Testament, you're seeing the prophecies of that. The Holy Spirit was going to come and bring power in a way that was unique to to any time in history. Acts 1.8 says, uh, records that, that promise for us. And the book of Acts records the empowering of early Christians to work miracles and signs, but also gave great power to the preaching of the gospel. Case in point, the apostle Peter. In Acts 4.8 it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he preaches one of the most amazing 
sermons ever given and gospel message ever given. This is the same guy who told Jesus that he wouldn't go to the cross, was rebuked by Jesus and called Satan by Jesus. This is the same guy who stupidly cut off a guy's ear. This is the same guy who didn't know what to say there on the Mount of Transfiguration and opened his mouth and was like, Jesus, this is good, man. This is so rad. Moses and you and this other guy. Let's all build tents and just stay here. Guy constantly said stupid stuff. But listen, he's also the guy who denied Jesus three times. What changed? What changed? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and said. Suddenly he was empowered in a way unlike ever before. This was the guy who denied Jesus. When the opportunity came for him to stand for Christ before he failed, but here it's a different outcome entirely. But another aspect of empowering is spiritual gifts, which we will get to in this text someday. But one in the same, look what it says in verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. When these gifts are active with the body of believers, it is a manifestation or display of the presence of God moving among and through his church. Okay, so he empowers. The second thing tonight is the Holy Spirit purifies us. He purifies us, but not just with charcoal like a water filter. He does it by fire. Luke 3.16, John answered, saying to all, this is John the Baptist, he says, I, need, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit, what John was, was speaking of is the Holy Spirit brings blessing as his primary activity is to cleanse us from sin or sanctify us. It's that word, sanctify us. He makes us more holy in the actual conduct of our life. And Paul said in in chapter 6, verse 11, remember he's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, And such were some of you, but you have been washed and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit cleanses us. He cleans us up and he gives us new life. He does an initial cleansing of sin in us and he also produces growth in holy living as we simply walk with Jesus. It's a work of God. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says these are the signs and the evidence of us walking and filled with the Holy Spirit. These These are fruit, or this is evidence of what kind of tree we are. The Bible calls you a tree. Anyway... So the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us and makes us more holy. But the, also the Holy Spirit reveals. He reveals. The revelation of, to prophets and the apostles, the whole of the Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scriptures came about because, like 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible that you hold in your hands... The phone that contains the Bible that you hold in your hand? Those words were not just men's opinion. It's not some guy who's like, this would be nice for people to do. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning it is God breathed out. It is his word. John 16, 3, it tells us that the New Testament writers were guided into all truth by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit revealed and that he revealed the whole uh, canon of scripture to the prophets and apostles. But he also guides and directs his people. Okay, this is where it gets very practical. This is speaking to us. I know I've been all over the Bible, and I apologize. Just stick with me. You guys okay? Okay, we're going to keep going. Okay. He guides and directs his people. The Holy Spirit led, if you remember in Mark's gospel, it led Jesus, he led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, the language of, of that leading is actually so strong that it says that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. We have recorded for us that Philip was told to go up to the chariot. Remember, there was a, a man reading the scroll of Isaiah, and the Holy, Holy Spirit said, go to that chariot. I want you to go and to speak to this man. He was led by words or, or words of guidance to go and speak to this person. We also have recorded for us transportation of the Holy Spirit or teleportation. You thought Star Trek was not cool. It's never been cool. But this idea here is found in Scripture where someone was someplace and then they're taken and left in another place. Philip was that guy. Philip was teleported from one place to another by the Holy Spirit. We have Ezekiel who also used this language of being caught up or taken up, transported somewhere else. Now, that doesn't happen to me every day. It's not how I start my morning with a cup of joe, and I'm like teleported somewhere. I'm like, I'm in France. Um, but the very practical, everyday way that the Holy Spirit reveals and directs us is the day-by-day -day guidance, or what the Bible calls walking according to the Spirit. Romans 8.4 says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The contrast that he makes of flesh and spirit implies that our lives should be responding moment by moment to the desires of the Holy Spirit in us, not the flesh. This means an active participation by the Holy Spirit in guiding our life. For instance, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, on a second missionary journey, desired to go to this place to speak to these people. He wanted to go to Asia. And it says that the Holy Spirit said no. And he's like, we're going to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says no. Like there was a real, like, thing that happened, whether or not it was the Holy Spirit who, who physically says and shows up and says, no, or if it was just a, a, a thing in their spirit where they're like, we don't, it's just, we can't, it, like the doors are closed and everywhere we turn, the door is closed. It's the Holy Spirit guiding our everyday life. But not only does the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us and reveal to us, the Holy Spirit unifies us. The Holy Spirit unifies us. Remember, we, we already read Joel chapter 2. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here, there's an emphasis that the Holy Spirit would come upon a community of believers, not just a leader. Old men, young men, male, female, servants, not just a few. The idea is that across the socioeconomic line, anyone and whoever could have access to the empowering of the Holy Spirit by simply asking. By simply asking. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit created a new community, which was the church, and it was marked by unprecedented unity. Like never before had people been unified like this. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 47, it says, Now all who believed were together and, that all, and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There were people from every walk of life who would never be in the same room with each other, but are now selling their possessions in order that someone else would be blessed and taken care of. You talk about a class system. In the time of Christ, the time of the apostles, there was the lowest of the low and the highest of the high. These people would never mix, never be together, and we see it modeled in the person of Jesus. He ate with publicans and tax collectors. And everyone said, how could you eat with these people? It was a foreshadowing of what would come through the fulfillment and the pouring out of the Spirit of God. Some of you in this room tonight, you would never sit in the same room with each other had it not been, had, had it not been for the Holy Spirit in your life and Jesus in your life. I know for me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't introduce myself to you. I wouldn't know you because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't care. I could care less. Listen, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is an evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. What you see in this room is evidence of the presence, the full manifestation of God, triune God moving among his people, is that everyone in this room is different, uniquely gifted, but we're all here. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. The Holy Spirit unifies us in a way unlike anything else. And as we move into the discussion of these spiritual gifts, the theme of it is unity. It's repeated over and over. It's amazing because nowhere else does diversity bring about unity. It's, it is propaganda to us so much, isn't it? What's something, there's a phrase that we all heard. Diversity makes us stronger. Have you ever heard that? Do you know that doesn't make any sense whatsoever? For instance, Tower of Babel. When everyone became diverse in language, what happened? Everyone spread out because no one could understand a word they were saying. It's by diversity, it actually makes you weaker because no one has the same goal or the same mind. Not to say diversity is wrong, but here's the thing. Only within the Holy Spirit and the baptizing of the Holy Spirit does diversity and unity, unity intersect and make sense. And let me just remind you, it was Erwin Lutzer who made that point 
that we hear it all the time, that our diversity makes us stronger, but that's simply not true. Without the same goal, diversity does exactly what the word means, very different ideas and goals. So how does diversity of gifts within the body of Christ draw us together? How is that even possible? Because it forces us to need each other. It forces us. God in his goodness, knowing that we are islands unto ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm that kind of person who isolation is my jam. I love being by myself. I, I could go camping by myself forever. But God in his goodness knew I can't live like that. It's not good that man should be alone, if you remember from Scripture. Right? And I'm like, how is that not good? And then God brings me a wife, and I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. God, you know what you're doing. So we are forced to depend on each other. But not only that, gifts are given by the Spirit for the benefit of all. Look at verse 7 of our text. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. To a church that was marked by division and fraction, speaking of the church in Corinth, Paul says that that's a work of the flesh. Division is a work of the flesh. But the Holy Spirit is the one who produces love in our hearts, and this love binds us together in perfect harmony. Therefore, the Holy Spirit working strongly in the church to manifest God's presence and evidence will be peace in the church and overflowing love for one another. The evidence of God working by his spirit within his church. Listen, is not the number of people within that church, although that is part of it. It is the love that those people have for one another is the evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in a church, no matter how big or how small. Because it's the Lord who adds to the church daily and sees fit to what size it'll be. So we have this wonderful God, three in one, the Holy Spirit, God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who works all together. I want you to see something just real quick, and we'll end here. It says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of our God calls Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. No. There are diversities of gifts. Where is it? Hold on. Hold on. I'll find it. Oh, there it is. There are diversity of gifts. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts by the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries by the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities in the same God. The Holy Spirit is the one who gifts his church and empowers his church. But I want you to see something. The triune God is involved in all of it. Now, if that doesn't blow your, your mind, I don't know what will. How it all works and how it all functions, I don't know. But I do know that the Holy Spirit works and manifests or shows us the, the presence of God through you and through me in the lives of one another. That's how good God is. And that's what the cross brought about. It brought about the full presence of God with us always, like inescapable. 
accessible anytime, any place. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, next time we're together, I don't know what we're going to talk about because I haven't outlined it yet. But when I do, we're going to get to what these gifts are. There's, there's, diff, like there's two or three lists, some say, of what these gifts are. And I want to encourage you that you have at least one of them. If you're saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have at least one. You might have ten. You might have four. You might have half. No, you might have just one. But we want to find out what those are. And I want, listen, we're going to find out what those are and we're going to start using them. Because God gave them to you for what? The profit of all. So you holding it back is not very nice. It needs to be used. It needs to be seen. It needs to be shown. It needs to be, it needs to be manifest because when it is, we see not you, we see the presence of God in you and we give God glory because of it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful. Jesus, that you give us access into the throne room of God and Lord, you've given us your spirit You've made us alive physically. You've brought us back to life where we were dead in sins and trespasses. Your Holy Spirit has regenerated our soul. And Lord, you desire to come upon us in a new and powerful way. And so, Lord, we're thankful that you, you have been with us. You are with us and you will forever be with us. Never to, force, never to be separated from us, Lord. What a glorious gift that is. And so, Lord, as we spend time just praying, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall in this place. Lord, if there's anyone who's never asked for the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's as close as their very breath to just simply ask, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. To allow the Spirit of God to come upon you and to begin to empower you to live the Christian life. We were never intended to live the Christian life in our own power, in our own strength. That's why the Holy Spirit came. And so, Jesus, we pray, God, would you please grant us more of your spirit? May we be governed by the spirit, walking in the spirit, aware of the very fact that your spirit is with us. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Why don't we all stand together as we close the worship today?